Hi, everybody. My name is Jason Biddick. I'm an alcoholic. Jason. My sobriety date is January 15, 2013. Nathan, thanks for asking me to come and speak. I want to welcome all the newcomers, heck of a lot of chip takers. Uh, I've got a sponsor. His name is Jim Holder. He has a sponsor. His name is Jay Stennett from Arizona, and he's got a sponsor from Carlsbad named, uh, um, I don't know. I'll think of it. But um, I am uh, I'm extremely grateful uh, for strong sponsorship. And um, one of the things that I try to do on an annual basis is I try to, you know, one of the questions I ask my sponsor annually, I says, what do you see? You know, I've got a got an illness that deals with with perception and a lot of times I can't see what it is that I'm that I'm doing even though I'm living it right and uh, this last time I asked him you know what do you see and it's a scary question because I not only have to be open to hearing something I don't want to hear I also got to be willing to to make some change based on what I hear and it's not in my experience always been that easy and so I asked him I said Jim you know what do you see and he's you know the type of man that'll say you know what let me let me call you back in 15 minutes and you know, pray and meditate or do whatever ninja kind of sponsorship stuff that he does. And and he called me back and he said, Jason, there are times that you are unapproachable. Six foot two, 250 pound angry Marine. Sometimes I'm unapproachable. Um, I didn't really know how to take it. It really kind of felt like a kick to the stomach. You know, it's, you know, I've taken these steps. I've found some freedom. You know, I'm uniquely qualified to go out and help other alcoholics. You know, I'm involved uh, in AA at just about every single level. I love sponsoring guys. I love doing panels and uh, and speaking and things like that. And to be told that I'm unapproachable is, uh, I would hate to see that there might be somebody that would want to come up and talk to me and not be willing to talk to me because I was unapproachable. So I need to walk through a little fear with you right now and try to become approachable. All right, you ready? Is this how, Is that how you do it? Anyway. It's just, it's not easy. It's not easy for somebody like me. I was so angry and so lost for so long that it's just, it's, it, smiling just didn't really necessarily come, come natural. But uh, um, anyways, I've been sober for just over six years. You know, I grew up here, uh, you know, in Orange County, up in, up in Yorba Linda, and it's some pretty normal parents. You know, my dad was actually an Olympic athlete. I looked up to the guy, and I just thought he was just the greatest thing ever. And um, my mom went to college and was a, uh, a college graduate and was really a nice lady. I really had some good parents, and you know, I would I would like people to believe that I was an only child, but I had a younger brother and a younger sister. Um, I I really felt like the entire world early on revolved around me. I wanted everything to be the way I wanted it to be, and a lot of times I would use my brother and sister for that means. Um, and I never I never felt comfortable, you know. I, I never felt comfortable in my own skin. Um, I would go out and I would play soccer and, and little league and baseball and and when I would have good games, you know, I would have fleeting moments of feeling really good about myself and thinking that life was going to be okay. And um, but it was only fleeting before I'd be sitting back wondering where I'm supposed to be, what am I supposed to be doing, why is everyone else looking like what they're doing is natural when I'm sitting back and and uh, and feeling so unnatural. Um, you know, by the time I got to junior high school, I remember taking my very first drink of alcohol. You know, our family. Uh, we went to Carlsbad on vacation, and there were some Marines that were playing football, and I went and played some football with them. And, you know, at the end of the evening, you know, they went back to their room, and I just kind of followed them in there, and they were, they didn't leave, so they were, they were getting hammered. And I just, I remember grabbing a drink, and it was Southern Comfort and La Paz drink mix, and I, and I loved it. Uh, about 10 minutes after I took that first drink, I remember sitting down, 
And I just, I remember the world being absolutely perfect. I remember exactly where the sun was in the sky. I could tell you the, um, the texture of the chair that I was sitting on. It was, it was, the only way that I could describe it is that it was my very first spiritual experience. I just, I had never felt something that made me feel so happily and usefully complete as taking that first drink. And there's never been anything like it until going through the steps and building a relationship with a power greater than myself. But back then, that was all I had. And after about another 10 or 15 minutes, I was throwing up everywhere and lied my way back into, you know, where my parents were. And you know, I definitely wasn't drinking every day at that point, but I never forgot that early on. It was like, man, how do I, how do I work myself into a situation where I can continue to drink like this if this is what I want to do? Um, um, you know, as I got into high school, uh, and, and here's, this will describe my drinking perfectly. And I got my license when I was 14, and three of my buddies during school wanted to go up and, and get a 12-pack. Uh, at, uh, at lunch, and we had one hour to go and do this. Um, we ran up. We got a 12-pack. There's four of us. I'm counting them. I'm thinking we all got three, right? Um, and is, yes, someone say something. Oh. So everyone's got three, and uh, and I'm and I'm watching how many they're drinking, and I'm drinking as fa as fast as I can, thinking that if someone doesn't drink all of theirs, I'm getting their extra one. And what ends up happening? They all drink two, and I get six, and I've never been happier in my life. You know, I, it, and that never changed, you know, throughout high school going to parties, you know, if we went to somebody's house, I was always the guy that knew where the alcohol was and exactly how much there was, and I needed to, to try to time it, you know, and everyone would pass out, and I'd be the last one that was conscious, and I'd be going around drinking everybody else's drinks, and I loved it. I mean, I love the effect produced by alcohol. Um, I didn't necessarily like team sports, you know, after after a certain period of time because I, I was always uncomfortable around people. I didn't realize that was all fear-based, which I learned through going through the steps. But So I decided that I think I should go play golf. Um, I could be alone. I could do whatever I wanted to do uh, and not have to and have other people sitting around and judging me. And, um, and I started to get pretty good in high school. Um, by the time I was a senior in high school, I was like the Orange County High School Golfer of the Year and the uh, LA Times High School Golfer of the Year. And, I absolutely loved it. Uh, I even Monday qualified for a, a PGA Tour event when I was a senior in high school. And you know, if you were to ask me what my life was going to be like, uh, I would have told you this is what's going to happen. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get pretty good grades. I'm going to be an all-American golfer. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to get out of college, and uh, I'm going to become a professional golfer. And I'm going to marry a smoking hot woman. And we're going to buy a freaking huge house. I'm going to drive the cars I want to drive. I'm going to live the most epic life ever. Uh, my perception was that that's actually the, what was going to happen. And so I go off to college, and um, I chose uh, Brigham Young University. I'm not Mormon. They had won the national championship the year before. Uh, but I had to sign something before going there that said, I will not drink, I will not smoke, and I will not have sex while attending this university. And it's like, all right, give me your pen. I'll just sign it. It's no big deal. Um, my perception is I don't have a problem up, up to this point. So why, why should that be a problem? Um, this is just the next step towards, you know, stardom and, uh, you know, financial security. Uh, that was my perception. But what happened was the second week of school, I got thrown in jail on a Tuesday and then a Thursday in the same week. And I was uh, kicked out of school before the end of September. I didn't make it through the end of the very first month of school. Yeah, I was uh, one more time. My turtle got completely flipped. And so my, my parents did what most parents do here in Orange County. They said, well, we got to go ahead and send you to rehab. And... Um, I had just turned 19, and, uh, and I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous. And what I found was 
that if I, you know, I carried a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in and out of the house, um, that they would leave me alone, you know. And if I went to meetings, that they would leave me alone. Um, and I really thought at that time, just based on my perception, that that was going to be the solution to my problem. All I need to do is just go to meetings. You know, I didn't realize what I was dealing with when it came to alcoholism. And, uh, you know, if you're new and you're kind of curious to know what is this alcoholism thing, you know, what my own experience has taught me and what makes me different than the average temperate drinker is two different things. One is I have an extremely unhealthy mental obsession to alcohol. I think about it a lot. I plan it out. I mean, I don't think about that about cereal. Well, I do right now. Um, I don't think about that, you know, I don't think like that about anything else other than alcohol. I plan what parties I'm going to. I got to know how much I'm going to be drinking. I, I, uh, I want to control and enjoy alcohol. I just absolutely love it. And so that, that's one part of it. And the other part is once I take a drink, I have this physical allergy that is going to prevent me from stopping drinking. At the time, I just thought, you know, if, you know, I, I could drink a six-pack, and that's rad, and someday I want to drink a 12-pack. And then I drink a 12-pack, and, well, that's great, but me and my buddies, I'd rather be sitting around drinking a case. And, you know, over time, you know, the amount of alcohol that I was drinking got to be so uh, great that it definitely just was not healthy. And so if you're curious to know what alcoholism is, it's nothing more than that mental obsession to alcohol and the physical allergy to alcohol. And, and until I was able to, to really, uh, you know, take a look at my relationship with alcohol, there was going to be no recovery from it. And, um, and so going to in and out of meetings, you know, I was there for, you know, I was able to stay sober for like 90 days, I think. You know, I could pick up three chips and, you know, I was totally happy about it. Never got a sponsor, never went through the steps. And, um, and I drank again. You know, my parents at this point, they, they had learned some things in, in rehab and learned some things in Al-Anon, and they knew that, you know, if I was going to kill myself, that's great, but you just can't do it here. And I joined the United States Marine Corps. And I'm telling you, I was fine through boot camp. I was fine through uh, Marine combat training. I was fine through the School of Infantry and, you know, staying busy and doing things where I had no opportunity to drink. But then I got out and went to my first duty station in Okinawa, Japan, and, you know, within a week... That's all I'm doing is drinking, and I love the, the effect produced by alcohol. And now it's, now when I get drunk, you know, when I was a little bit younger, I'd be like that happy drunk, you know, the, you know, the guy who was telling jokes, you know, the guy that wants to put the lampshade on his head. And now I'm pissed off because I'm, in, I'm, I'm on the other side of the planet. I'm not playing golf. Where's my car and my money, right? You know, I'm, I'm making a check of like $800 a month, and, um, and I'm just pissed off. And I'm pissed off all the time. And I'm going to work from 6 in the morning till, uh, you know, like 4 in the afternoon. Then I'm going back and I'm sleeping at 4 o'clock. And I sleep till about 10 o'clock at night. And then I'm getting my clothes on and I'm going out. And I, every single night, you know, I'm going out. You know, I remember one morning I came in uh, to work and I told my staff sergeant, I said, you know what, I'm not working today. And uh, he just kind of laughed at me like, yeah, that's, that's really funny. I said, it's not funny. I'm just not working today. I'm, I'm over this. You know, I, I don't know if anybody can relate to reaching that point where it's just screw it. I'm done. You know, I'm not doing this shit anymore. And uh, sorry, I didn't really mean to be cussing. I'm supposed to be a better man than that. But um, I told him that I wasn't working anymore. And, 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 uh, and I got busted down to, you know, to private. And it was at that time that I started to see that, you know what, alcohol is probably a problem here. So what should I do? Uh, and I think I need to figure out how to control this. And um, I went to the doctor and I had, I had him uh, give me antabuse, which... Uh, if you don't know what antabuse is, it's a, you know, it's a drug that goes into your system and it goes right into your liver. And what happens is if you ingest any sort of alcohol, um, it gives you a violent reaction. I mean, it could kill you. Uh, they, they started giving that to prisoners back in the 1970s as they were getting out of prison to try to help. You know, they thought that that might be the solution. And to me, I thought that might be the solution, knowing 
but I could die if I take another drink. Absolutely. I've got, you know, I can control this kind of thing. Still not understanding what alcoholism is. And uh, about two weeks later, I'm sitting in the Marine Corps barracks and I'm playing these games and, you know, I poured myself a drink. And, uh, you know, my roommate looks over at me and kind of backs away and like half my face was purple, my back was purple, um, part of my chest was purple. I was having a really tough time breathing and um, I poured myself another drink. I, I mean, I don't know what to do. I've started that physical allergy. It doesn't make a difference if I'm purple and, you know, I look like... Uh, uh, whatever I look like, I, I'm going to go ahead and take another drink. And that, that's, uh, I am sick. I suffer from a spiritual malady and a spiritual illness. And I know a lot of you guys are in rehabs and you want to talk, you know, throw out the word disease. I, I don't know where that is in the first 164 pages of the big book. You know, I deal with, I have got a spiritual problem, a spiritual malady that requires a spiritual solution. And, um, and at that time, after getting sick like that, I would stop going to work. Uh, I ended up getting... Uh, you know, arrested in the Marine Corps. There was one night that I got arrested by the uh, by the Japanese police. Uh, I have all these great ideas when I'm drinking. That doesn't make me an alcoholic. But there was one time that there was a row of uh, taxis, and I decided to jump on top of one of them and run down the whole, you know, about 20 of them. Boom, 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 boom. And I was denting some of them in my boots, and uh, I got thrown in jail for that too. And you know, finally there was a my commanding officer came to me and said, "Look, are you, do you think you have a problem with alcohol?" And I don't know about you, but when I hear that, it's a jet, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a get out of jail free card. It's, oh yeah, I've got a problem with alcohol. What are you going to do? You know, he says, well, we can send you to rehab. And it's like, oh, thank God. You know, I, I'm totally off the hook. You know, totally off the hook now. And I remember spending the first three days in a hospital bed. And this is when I'm 21 years old. You know, I remember having IVs in my arm, and uh, you know, physically they're trying to get me well without having a seizure. And um, and I spent you know, 90 days into rehab. And I don't know about you, but an alcoholic of my type, uh, I don't get sober focusing on my diet. I don't get sober sitting down writing a list of, uh, um, of triggers. I don't get sober, um, uh, you know, on the, on, the, on the cliffs of Malibu, sitting out in the sun and trying to get in touch with my inner child. Um, I've got, <laughs> I have this spiritual malady, this spiritual illness that uh, um, it can't be taken care of that way. You know, I went to a lot of rehabs that told me you should do this and should not do this. And, man, if you can get sober out of a rehab, God bless you. I, I mean, I, I wish you nothing but the best of luck. But what my experience has taught me is I've done the rehabs. You know, I've done the psychiatrists. I've done the psychologists. I, I've gone and I've read through a bunch of the medical journals thinking I've got to be one of these types of depressions. And if I'm one of those kind of depressions, there's got to be some kind of a, a pill that you could give me to fake, make me feel just kind of normal. Someone get, just get me back to normal. That's all I want, you know. I just, I just, I want to feel normal. I want to feel comfortable in my own skin. What do I need to do to do that? Uh, you know, eventually they kicked me out of the United States Marine Corps and they send me home. My parents don't know what to do with me. They had no idea what to do with me. And if I was them, I wouldn't have known either. And, and so I went back to Alcoholics Anonymous, and something strange happened. Um, I started to get involved. You know, I, I started to do a little bit of step work. I started to dip my toes in, kind of to see what would happen. And, and I met a beautiful woman, you know, and we. Uh, and we got married, and we had my son Palmer. You know, we had my daughter Peyton. Um, we bought a house. You know, I had a little business. Uh, problem is, is like with every single one of these little things that happened, it was one less meeting, 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 until I convinced myself that really all I need to do is go to church and I can get my spirituality that way. Um, I'm sure that people can find spirituality that way. In hindsight, all I was doing was going there to, as, as a history lesson to try to learn who all the players were and what all the books were and where they all, you know, where, where all this stuff happened. I wasn't using it as a relationship tool. I wasn't going to look for the power. I was just showing up thinking that that was the solution. If I could just sit in the chair and do nothing, that maybe I would change. And you know what? 
I didn't change, you know, and at 12 years of sobriety, I was crazy. I was, I was crazy. Um, alcohol's not my problem. Alcohol has always been the solution to my problem. And um, I couldn't tie it back into alcoholism. I, I just, I absolutely couldn't. I was convinced that my ex-wife wasn't loving me the way that I needed to be loved. Um, I really, I was convinced of that. And the funny thing is, she hadn't changed one bit since the day I had married, you know, since the day I married her. Um, and I was so crazy one day, I went and told her, you know what, I'm done with this. I, I can't be married to you anymore. And I left her, and I left my little daughter and my little son, and uh, and I moved out. And within about two months, I knew that that wasn't the solution because I didn't feel any better. And the only thing I knew how to do at that point was drink. And I'm telling you, I started drinking with a ferocity that I had never drank in my entire life. I. Uh, um, Within two years of taking my first drink, we lost the house and it went into foreclosure. I had my car repossessed. I lost my business. I lost all of my friends. Uh, my ex-wife said that you're never seeing the kids again. Why, why don't you sign them over to me so I can move back to my family in Florida? Because legally, she couldn't just take them to Florida. And, and I thought, no, screw that. You know, I want them here in California with me, even though I'm never seeing them living down the street. And, you know, in a moment of clarity, I, I signed a piece of paper and signed up and assigned my kids uh, the rights to my kids away. And, they, and she moved across. She took my kids uh, back to Orlando, away from me. And I drank for three more months. And then I had this great idea that, you know what, you know, maybe uh, maybe I need to try to go back to Florida. You know, I because I know I know somewhere in here is a good dad, right? And Look, if you're new and you know somewhere inside of you is a different person than you've been, there is. There absolutely is. And there's a power that can pull that out. And, um, but I knew inside of me that I wasn't the dad that, that I had been. And so I went back to Florida. And, uh, man, I, I got a job with the Golf Channel. I got the greatest job I could ever have. And I had control of my schedule. Um, I could have picked my kids up at the same time every day if I wanted to. Um, and if you would have asked me on a Monday, Jason, what's your week look like? You know, I'd have said, I'm going to pick up my daughter Peyton on Tuesday, and I'm taking her to dance. And Thursday, I'm picking up my son Palmer, and I'm um, taking him to baseball. And then on Friday after school, I'm picking up both my kids, and we're going we're gonna to lay in bed in our jammies and watch movies. And in the morning, I'm making them pancakes, and we're going to hang out, and we're going to be a family all weekend. Every single week, I would have promised you that on Monday. But what would happen on Tuesday at 3 o'clock, a couple hours before my daughter would get off work, I would go to the bar, and I'd have a drink, and then I'd have another drink, and then I'm looking at the clock, and I'd have to drink two or three quick before I leave. And by the time I was supposed to leave, next thing you know, I'm texting my ex-wife saying, I've got to work late, I've got to leave town, I'm coming up with one lie or another. Uh, looking back on it, I only saw my kids about once every two or three weeks, and I could have seen them every single day. And I wanted to be a good dad. It wasn't me making the decisions at that point. You know, you want, to, uh, you want to talk about powerlessness. What my experience has taught me is that if you're a real alcoholic, there's going to come a time when you have to choose between alcohol and the things in life that you love the most. And you would think that it would be an easy choice. And you would think that I would go off and be the man that I'm supposed to. That's not ever what happened. I had crossed that into the blind that we read about in the book. You know, alcohol was my master. It owned me. Um, at this point, I could not stop drinking. Next thing you know, I started having problems with some of my organs. Um, you know, I go to the doctor. They do an upper GI. They do a colonoscopy. And, 
And finally, you know, after all these tests, you know, he says, well, how much do you drink? And I said, well, I get off work at like 4.30. I'm at the bar at 5. I drink a tumbler. I fill it up full of ice. I put four shots of vodka, half a shot of cranberry juice. I drink one of those every 20 minutes from 5 o'clock until 2 o'clock in the morning. And then I, I drive home with my right hand over my eye. And uh, and he kind of looked at me with his head sideways and says, well, you've, you've got maybe two or three years to live. I, you know, I don't even know what else to tell you. You know, you either need to stop drinking or you're going to die. And, you know, the threat of death sounded great to me. You know, it sounded great to me. And I don't know where your head is, but I truly felt like all my best years were behind me, that everything good in my life had already happened, and uh, my kids were being taken care of, and I was terrible, you know, a terrible father anyways. Um, who cares about work? Uh, I, just, I just wanted to drink and feel okay. And, uh, and alcohol never stopped working me, you know. 20 minutes after I start drinking, it does something different inside of me. It completely changes my perception. You know, my, you know, the world doesn't change, but my perception of it completely changes. You know, unfortunately, I just I stopped going to work, and um, at this point, I, I am absolutely drinking to die, and I think the only way out for me is to die. Uh, but I went, I tried to go to back to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I went to two meetings, and I remember drinking before the first meeting and after the first meeting, and I remember drinking before the next meeting and after the next meeting, and I thought, okay, well, AA isn't working right now. I need to check myself into a rehab, and I was able to get into a rehab in, uh, in Orlando. And on the second day in the rehab, I, I was freaking out. I mean, like I said, alcohol is not my problem. It's a solution to my problem. My head was about, I felt like my head was about to explode. I went to the nurse's station. I said, look, I checked myself in here, right? He said, yes. Well, I'd like, my, like to check myself out, please. You know, it's time to go. And, uh, you know, the nurse said, well, you'd be checking out contrary to doctor's orders. Like, man, I don't care about your doctor. Man, I need a drink. I need a drink. Don't tell me that, you know, against doctor's orders. I need a drink. And I left. You know, the four horsemen that they talk about, terror, bewilderment, frustration, and, de and despair, that is what I felt walking to that car because I felt like I had just given AA my only shot. I felt like I had just given rehab my only shot. There was nothing left. Mm. I, uh, I tried to drink myself to death for the next... Uh, three weeks. I just thought that that was the only way out. And then I found this parking structure that was six stories high. It didn't have a fence around the top of it. You know, I had thought about killing myself a ton, but I'd never really had an idea about how exactly I was going to do it. And that's how I was going to do it. And it was, it was by the hospital. And I just knew there was going to be freedom in this, man, because the pain of living could not be worse than the pain of dying. It just can't be. Um, and then the day that I was in the process of doing that, I was put into a psych ward. And, uh, and thank God, you know. Uh, after after six days, you know, they they let me out, and I went to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I remember smoking as many cigarettes as I could get my hand on. I didn't like how I felt. You know, I'm out there at break, you know, smoking two cigarettes at the same time, damn near. And this old timer walked up to me, and he says, "Hey." When there's an accident victim laying on the side of the road, when do you think the paramedic should start working on him? I said, well, right then. And he said, son, you've been in a terrible accident. We're going to do some step work. You're going to die. And you know what? No greater truth had ever been spoken to me. No greater truth had ever been spoken to me. And I said those five words, which I still believe save my life, and that's just tell me what to do. Please. I'll do anything. And if you're new and you don't really understand what sponsorship is, 
We're not parole officers. We're not authoritarians. We're not anything other than a man or a woman who's gone through these steps, who's willing to spend some time with you and just show you how to do it. We read the book, and when you get to a point that it tells you to do something, we show you how we did it, and then you decide to do what you're going to do. I mean, the freedom is yours. How free do you want to be? No one's telling you what to do. You don't want to be here. You don't got to be here. Uh, but what he did was, and it seemed overwhelming, he told me to read the, the doctor's opinion and come back the next day. I mean, now it doesn't seem like it's all that much, but at the time it was like, oh, my God, there's like 10 pages. What am I supposed to do? Oh, jeez. But I did it. You know, and at, uh, at about 17 or 18 days of sobriety, I made it back out here to California, and I got into a sober living. And when I read through Bill's story with my sponsor out here, there were, not through Bill's story, through the doctor's opinion, it talked about how Bill had requested the privilege of going back into the rehab to share his experience with other patients. You know, I'd been part of AA for a long, long time, and I had never gone and tried to carry the message to another alcoholic. I had never thought I did. I just thought, you know what, I need to be further along. I need to be more qualified. You know, I need to be, you know, I, I, I can't, I, I'm not ready for this kind of thing. And, uh, you know, what my experience taught me is that uh, um, in order for an alcoholic of my type to stay sober, I needed to immediately start doing that. And so I'd ask my sponsor, where can I go to try to practice this? And he said that there was a detox in Costa Mesa that you could go check out. And so in the morning, I would go to a meeting with my sponsor, and he would give me some direction. And at lunch, I would go to this detox in Costa Mesa, and I would go back there, and I would sit with these guys who had two weeks less than I had in sobriety, and I'd start with something really complicated like this. What's your name? Where are you from? How many days have you been sober? Man, I'm glad you're here with me right now. I'm glad we're doing this thing together. As I continued to read the book with my sponsor, it kind of let me know that I needed to carry a message that had both depth and weight. What that means is I need to go and do more than just ask somebody what their name is. And, I, and basically what it's telling me is in order to help another man, I've got to go ahead and go through these steps. Now, um, in my experience at that point, it made it easy because it was no longer about me at that point. It's like, let's get these things done. You know, how do we you know, establish a relationship with the power greater than yourself. And we sat down and um, he had me pick out this piece of paper and draw a line down the middle of it. You want to hear some, some uh, sponsorship ninja stuff right here? I'm going to let you in on a secret. He uh, had me put a line down the middle of the paper on the left-hand side. He said, Jason, write down all the things that you can or, and are willing to believe in when it comes to a higher power. I can do that. Wrote down a few things. And on the right-hand side of the page, he says, write down what you can't or won't believe in. Okay, I'll do that. And I, and I gave it some serious thought. And when I gave it to him, he took it and looked at it, and then he ripped it in half, and he gave me the side. Okay, here's the side of the things that you can and will be, you know, and are willing to believe in. It's like, oh. So I can't now say that I don't know what direction to go. I've actually just created this power greater than myself. That is my perception or my conception of what that power is. And it was, it was enough to keep me started, you know. It was enough to keep me started. After about two months, um, I ran out of money. I was no longer, after three months, I ran out of money, was no longer uh, able to stay uh, in that sober living house, and so I, had, I was able to sleep in a, uh, in a warehouse in Costa Mesa. And um, I want to tell you about one of the days that I was there. On a Friday morning, I went to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and there was a young man there that was 19 years old who, who shared, and he talked about how disappointed in his life that he was and how ashamed of, of himself that he was and, and how much he really hated his life. And I'm looking at this kid and thinking, man, this kid's going to drink. And not today, you know, he's not. And I grabbed him after the meeting and said, what are you doing today? Um, and he said, I don't know. I said, just come stay with me today. You know, just come hang out with me today. I took him to breakfast. And I shared my experience of coming into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous at 19 years old not knowing what the hell to do. I just shared my experience with him. We hung out between, you know, 
breakfast and lunch, and then we went to a lunch meeting at the Canyon Club. And he still was pretty down, but we stayed together. Um, that night, we went to a, you know, a small meeting in, in Mission Viejo, and um, well, you know, one of those meetings that had seven or eight people where everyone's sharing. You know what I'm saying? There's no just blending into a meeting that small. But, and by the time it got around to him, he was happy. Um, his whole deportment, everything about him changed. He was grateful for his life. He loved his family. And I'm sitting there looking at this kid going, what on earth just happened today? You know, I mean, I spent enough time in these rooms listening to what everybody has had to say and not being able to stay sober. I've spent a lot of time in these rooms watching what other people have done and could never stay sober. And it wasn't until I actually did what was in the book that I had that spiritual experience. And what I did that day was I just tried to be of service to another alcoholic. I tried to help another alcoholic to stay sober because nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with another alcoholic. You don't need a PhD to do it. You just need to sacrifice some of your time to do it. And what my experience has taught me is that uh, um, by doing that, something inside of me changed. And that night, something completely changed inside of me. I, the amount of money I had in my pocket didn't really make a difference anymore. The address where I was living, who I was dating, uh, nothing even mattered anymore. I knew my God was going to take care of me, and all I needed to do was try to take care of some of his people. Um, after five months, I was out of that warehouse and was in my car. Um, there's a great place to park at the Candy Club. I mean, I don't know if anybody here is sleeping in your car or not, but you can come talk to me about different places you can park. Um, and actually, I was the coffee guy at this meeting. You know, all I had in my car were my clothes, my blanket, a pillow, and so much coffee shit from this meeting in the trunk. It was crazy. Uh, but I'm grateful for it. You know, I'm absolutely grateful for it. You know, at a year of sobriety, um, I could finally start renting a room. And my daughter called me from Florida and said, Dad, we got a father-daughter dance out here. Will you come to Florida and come to this father-daughter dance? And um, I, when I told her, I said, look, I'm sleeping in a warehouse, sleeping in my car. I don't have money for planes, trades, and automobiles to do that kind of stuff. But I was grateful that uh, by that time, God had jumped in to begin to restore that relationship in a way that I couldn't believe it. And um, went and told my sponsor how grateful I was to receive a phone call like that. And um, within about a week, my, uh, my, my home group collected a bunch of money and um, sent me back there. I was there for a couple of days. I only had like $10 in my pocket. So we went to Subway and got a $5 foot long and ate that for the dance. And... And uh, I'm glad it was dark when we danced because I was and out, so out of shape. I was sweating, but I was crying, you know. I, uh, how do you get how do you get from there to there? You know, it's uh, I don't know what your expectations are of what of what's supposed to happen here in Alcoholics Anonymous. I just wanted to stop drinking and be comfortable and just be okay. You know, today. You know, my son calls me twice a day from Florida, which is really crazy because uh, he's just about to go off to college. And so he calls me every morning, and then he calls me before baseball practice. Uh, my daughter, she's 16. She's into texting, and I kind of have a dialogue that goes on with her all day long, too. I, you know, I, I love her to death, and I'm a, I'm a good father from this side of the country. Um, I've got a bunch of guys that I sponsor that I absolutely love and would do anything for. I've got a sponsorship family that a bunch of them are here with me right now that are uh, – you know, I get to see, you know, how AA and uh, and this God is operating in their lives and changing everything in their lives. And uh, um, in one of Bill Wilson's last talks, 
he talked about a, a, a wheat seed, just to see the wheat and how they can sit dormant for centuries and if given the right soil and the right climate and then sunlight, there can be growth where for such a long time there wasn't growth. I was convinced that for me there would never be any more growth in my life. And Alcoholics Anonymous created the soil, you know, and my sponsor and all of you guys, you created the climate. And then by taking these steps, my life today is unbelievable. And it's got nothing to do with the money in my pocket or the car that I'm driving or who I'm dating. I can sit there at night and take a deep breath and be okay with my life. I love my life. If you're new and this is your first time in Alcoholics Anonymous, or if you were like me and you've come in and out a few times, no one's sitting next to you, not your sponsor, nobody can look at you with any degree of certainty and tell you what your life is going to be like months from now or even years from now, but I promise you this. You get a sponsor and go all the way through these steps and build a relationship with a power greater than yourself, and your life will be different than it is right now. And if you're an alcoholic of my type, man, that's all I wanted. Just give me something different. Thanks.